To see this then we've got to go back to Genesis 6-4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. We know that all of those were destroyed in the flood and this little phrase shows us that after the flood there were also appearances of these mutants. After the flood Satan tried the same old game again but unlike before the flood they didn't grow at the same rate as before the flood where their multiplication rate was huge. After the flood there was a limitation on them. The giants that were born were very few in number as far as we know. So there must have been a change from before the flood. Those of you who know your Bible well will know that before the flood man was not a meat eater. He was what we would call a vegan. He ate only vegetation. In Genesis 1.29 I have given you every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. After the flood, however, God changed the rules and meat was included, provided the blood was drained from it. We see this in Genesis 9, verses 3 to 5. <clears throat> every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you, as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And surely I will require your life blood, from every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, will I require the life of man. We studied this verse particularly when we looked at capital punishment. But here we see, we need to see it in a different context. God has changed man's diet drastically. You can eat meat now, but with certain restrictions. The important thing to see here, and it's probably the most surprising twist, is what the result was of the blood being drained out of all that meat which was now being eaten. If you know anything about Old Testament sacrifice, you will know that the life is in the blood and it makes atonement for us. The effect of the outpouring of all this blood as human beings began to eat meat had a cleansing and sanctifying effect on the earth that the enemy could not gainsay. It foreshadowed to him the precious blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ and Satan and his minions could not stay in a land soaked with blood. It replicated what had happened in the garden when God slew an innocent animal immediately after the fall to cover Adam and Eve with its skin. It was a constant reminder to Satan of what his end would be and this time his plan did not work. I'll leave you with this thought and you can come to your own conclusions as you study the word. As a final word on this, I'd say that there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a vegetarian. It's your choice, provided you're not putting your desire for animal welfare above God's. 
He says it's all right to eat meat. So make sure you're doing it for the right reason. But a return to veganism on a major scale would invite quicker than anything demonic infiltration on the earth. If you know anything about witchcraft you'll know that often they are vegan because they find power in that way. So there you have it. I trust you've enjoyed learning about the origins of the giants. May God bless you and bless his word to you all and thank you for listening. And on the second half of this CD we'll have a little look at angels. Okay then, here we are, second part of Passing the Baton 19 on the 25th of October 2008 and this part is about angels because uh, you'll find as you listen to it that it actually links into the first part which was about the incidence of giants in the Bible. The aim of every Bible study should be to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what subject in the Bible we're looking at. So as we're going to look at angels we must remember that it is Jesus we're going to glorify not them. I want to make the point at the start that there is a difference between Christophanies or as the Americans call it Theophanies and the appearance of angels. Jesus appeared in the Old Testament many times but that is not the subject of this study. This study is about angels and particularly the work of the elect or believing angels. Whenever Jesus appeared he was called the angel of the Lord and in capital letters not angel with a small a just to make the difference clear. We may look at the appearance of Jesus before his incarnation at another date but today we are looking at angelic beings, created beings not the pre-incarnate Christ. We live in exciting times, the days in which Abraham, Moses, Elijah and the disciples and Paul would have been thrilled to see because the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus are very close. In these days we are seeing the ministry of angels again as we approach the time of the end and the catching away of the church. If you're unsure about end time events and chronology, I suggest that you listen to the CDs we have produced so far on the book of Revelation or come along to the weekend at the end of November. The details are on our website which is www.psalm131.com and you will see everything that's coming up there including a conference that we are planning in May next year at Pilgrim Hall. The rapture of the church begins with a trumpet blast from an angel and from that time on maximum angelic intervention begins. If you read through the book of Revelation you will find the ministry of angels in all sorts of ways. In the Old Testament before the cross of Jesus at Calvary angels used to appear many times. They would come with messages and visions and other things. Today we have the Holy Spirit on the inside. He was never indwelling Old Testament believers. He only came upon them for specific functions. As a result of the work of the Holy Spirit, the intervention of angels here on earth has diminished somewhat. 
When the church is removed they will again be active. In this study we're going to look at the relationship of angels to the Lord Jesus and what it means to us as believers. There are three major forms of creation. The angelic beings, God's highest creation. These were made before the earth was established and they were created before we were. Human beings. Mankind came next, just a little lower than the angels, it says. As we saw in our very first study, the order has changed slightly and we'll see this again in a minute. Then animals and plants. So those are the three categories and the order of importance. Psalm 8, 1-9 to says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth! You who set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honour. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Just in case I've already lost you, uh, first created order was angels, God first, angels next, mankind, animals and plants. And the created order now for us is God, born again believers in Jesus, angels including the fallen ones and Satan himself, fallen mankind, animals and plants. So you see the fact that we are in Jesus has elevated us above the way that Adam was when he was created. But that's a whole study in itself. But that is the fact of it. It's changed. The order of things has changed. I just wanted to clear that up for you in case you were scratching your head right at this moment. So Jesus is above all creation. The scripture tells us that Jesus made everything and Revelation 22, 8 and 9 says this Now I, John, saw and heard these things and when I heard and saw I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that for I am your fellow servant and those of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book worship God an angel showed John what was to come and he fell down to worship the angel understandable mistake but the angel is quick to say not me him like us John was so overcome by this heavenly messenger that he forgot the lesson he'd already learnt because this was the second time he would tried to worship an angel and we see the first time in Revelation 19.10.
And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the angel says to John, Don't worship me, because I am a prophetic angel giving you information about the future. Worship Jesus. So, no worship of angels, please. There really is a good reason for this. Behind the sects, there is a demonic force at work. And Eastern religions have a demonic angel behind them, which unwittingly people are worshipping. So God would have us steer well clear of any of this. This is why it is so very important that we do not get involved with New Age stuff and alternative medicines. Again, there is a teaching on that already, and if you're interested, let me know and I'll arrange for you to have the material uh, which relates to it. I did a whole series on New Age. There are many types of angels found in the Bible and they're listed because of their job function. I want to look at two categories of angels because all angels fall into one of these two. In this I am not talking about fallen angels, demonic beings, but the elect angels of God. And these two categories are the cherubim and the seraphim. And by the way, as I said before, the im on the end of the word in Hebrew makes it plural. In the beginning, God, Elohim, the plurality of the Trinity, let us. So in the same way as we will put an S on the end of a word to pluralise it, they put im. Both cherubim and seraphim have particular jobs to do. The job of a cherub is to guard the presence and the holiness of God. You can see why they are higher than mankind in Genesis 3, 22 and 24, to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. Now lest he put his, out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live for ever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim, plural, at the east of the garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is after the fall, and in the Garden of Eden, and until the flood, these cherubim guarded the tree of life, which represented salvation. Everyone could see it, everyone could visit it, so they knew what had happened, right up until the moment of the flood. But this tree was a picture of the Lord Jesus himself. As we know, eating from the leaves of this tree would have meant that man would live forever in his fallen state, and that would have meant that sin would have been in the presence of God forever. To prevent this, the cherubim were sent to guard the holiness and the presence of God from fallen mankind with the flaming sword which flashed back and forth. Exodus 25, 17-22 says this You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, 
and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Here we have the things of the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant or presence, which again was a picture of the Lord Jesus, the presence of God. As soon as you find the presence, you get cherubim. Of course, this was symbolic, but it shows the truth of God in heaven. God would speak to Israel from between the cherubim, so they guard the holiness and the presence of God. The second type are seraphs, seraphim. Their name means burning one. And that is a reference to their worship to God. Wouldn't it be great if every Christian would burn with worship to God? The Pentecostals have been called holy rollers but never holy burners. Perhaps the day will come when we will be known as the holy burners, burning and on fire with zeal for God and with the presence of God. So Seraphim worshipped God but they also purified the servants of God. And to see this, we need to go to the book of Isaiah, and specifically Isaiah 6, 1-7. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So the seraphim's ministry had to do with worship and purification. And those are the two main categories. Then there are archangels. Before the fall, the highest of the cherubim was an archangel called Lucifer, the shining one, light bearer or morning star. 
The day came when Lucifer fell from the presence of God. Lucifer was there to look after the holiness of the Lord Jesus until he decided he was going to be higher than Jesus. He wanted the worship and adoration that was due only to Jesus himself. At that moment he fell and he took a third of the angels with him. As a result we now have a division between the elect angels, two-thirds still loyal to Jesus, and the fallen angels. One-third made the wrong choice and followed Lucifer, Satan or the devil in his rebellion. Ezekiel 28:14 says this, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. The anointed cherub means messianic cherub. Satan's job as Lucifer was to guard the throne room of God. He was the highest of God's creation, but he was a cherub. So he's a created being nonetheless. Because Satan is a created being and a cherub, he doesn't like that kind of information about him being known. So what's he done? He's taken everything about cherubs and made them farcical. When you speak of cherubs you imagine little babes with a bit of ribbon strategically placed around the tum. Most people's picture of them is a chubby-cheeked baby and a very healthy baby at that, with a bow and an arrow and the ubiquitous ribbon. So if he can make himself out to be farcical he becomes unbelievable and certainly not a threat. That shows the brilliance of Satan, his intelligence. This is why most people today, including some in the church, do not believe that he exists because of all the caricatures of him. His second line of defence is the character in a red suit with two horns, a tail and a pitchfork. No one believes this and as we know Satan's nothing like this. He's the most beautiful of God's angelic creation and we are told masquerades as an angel of light. So to the world at large he's a figure of fun. He isn't believed and that's just how he likes it. From there he goes forth to deceive the nations. I often hear people in the church talk as though there's some kind of contest if they do believe in the devil going on between the devil on the one hand and God on the other Beloved, this is just not the case. And here are just three reasons. Apart from the fact that he is a created being. The first one is that God is omnipotent. I really do want to make the point that there is never ever and never has been a contest between God and Satan. Satan is a created being. God is the creator. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. In fact, the first name by which we know him is in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. The word here is Elohim, plural. And its literal translation is the most powerful of all the powerful ones. That is what Elohim means. So there's no contest. Satan can do nothing without God's expressed permission 
and he is nowhere near as powerful as God. He is only a cherub, a powerful cherub, but a cherub nonetheless, and part of God's created order. The second reason is that God is omniscient. God knows everything. Angels do not, and neither does Satan. 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Angels are limited in their knowledge, and Satan is an angel, and therefore his knowledge has limits. God knows everything, including what Satan is planning. That's why we have such a tremendous victory. Nothing can come at us except God allows it, and if he allows it, it's for our profit. Brilliant. Heads we win, tails we win. If you want a scripture for that, 2 Chronicles 20 verse 16, and here we have Jehoshaphat needing a little help. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. God is more than happy to provide information when they express their total dependence on him. You remember the prophet had brought the information. So God's omniscient, angels are not. The third thing is that God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Omnipresent. Satan can only be in one place at one time. That's why if two people say Satan's after them, one of them has to be wrong. In fact, they're both wrong. Satan's main role is to accuse us before God. And if he's there, he can't be here. What is happening is that his troops are out on the job. Daniel 10, 10 to 13. Then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, or the archangel, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. And as Daniel's waiting for an answer to prayer, if angels could be everywhere at once, he wouldn't have had to wait. And we know that from Daniel 9.21, he says, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen at the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. We know that this angel was the angel Gabriel himself. Notice this is a high-ranking angel, Gabriel the messenger, and he has need of assistance, he says, uh, from Michael, who is the archangel, who covers the nation of Israel. 
and that he'd been left alone with the kings of Persia. There's a plural there. He was warring alone with a whole gang of Satan's army to get to Daniel with the answer to his prayer. So angels are not omnipresent. You can see from the references in the Old Testament to the ministry of angels in the following scriptures. There's lots of them, so get your pencil sharpened here. There's Daniel 7, 16 to 27. Daniel 8, 16 to 26. Daniel 9, 20 to 27. Mostly it's Gabriel, the messenger angel, who appears in these scriptures. Michael is the archangel over Israel, as is apparent from that scripture we saw just now in Daniel 10. Some more. Zechariah 1 verse 9. Zechariah 2, 3 and 4. Zechariah 4, 1 and 5. Zechariah 5, 5. And Zechariah 6, 4 and 5. And in the New Testament, Matthew 1, 20 and 21. Luke 11 to 20. Luke 1, sorry, Luke 1, 11 to 20. Luke 1, 26 to 38. It's really an interesting study if you have time. There was a time when the angels were around before the earth was created. They didn't know there was going to be an earth. They were occupied with worshipping in the throne room of God. And then the earth was formed. Job 38, 4-7 And God is answering Job by asking him a question or two. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This phrase, sons of God, is a technical term for the angels. We saw it as we studied about giants. There are many things they do, but they're rarely seen. But in 2 Kings 6, 17 and 18, we see something. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. We know from the previous verses, 8 to 12, that by the Spirit, Elisha was receiving the Syrian war plan. Time and again, the king of Syria made his plans against Israel. But the Spirit of God told Elisha everything. That's a word of knowledge in full swing. Elisha knew the presence of angels as well. They were used to provide protection around the man of God and God showed Gehazi, the servant boy, 
what Elisha saw all the time. Every nation has an angel protecting them. A well-known one is Michael who protects Israel. And Daniel 12 verse 1 talking of the time of the great tribulation or trouble that is to come upon the nation of Israel says this At that time Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time and at that time your people shall be delivered everyone who is found written in the book in Jude 9 9 we find a dispute between Michael the Archangel and Satan the fallen Archangel over the body of Moses yet Michael the Archangel in arguing with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuke you Moses died and God hid the body he has good reasons for this could it be because Moses is coming back again on the earth and God didn't want Satan knowing his whereabouts until the time comes just conjecture but Revelation 11 1 to 6 says this then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of God the altar and those who worship there but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth and if anyone wants to harm them fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies and if anyone wants to harm them he must be killed in this manner these have power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire during the tribulation period that is coming on the earth to test everyone who is on the earth Moses and Elijah will be the witnesses to the Jews in Jerusalem so the body of Moses is needed God himself took charge of it and hid it a very familiar account of angels is found in Luke 1 19 and 26 both times we see that it's Gabriel the messenger who's the one that's involved the angel answered and said to him I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings and in Luke 1 26 now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city named of Galilee named Nazareth here we have Gabriel the messenger again coming with a message to Mary when Jesus was born the angels would have been looking and wondering what was going on and Satan would have thought what's happening now only the angels would have seen Jesus blowing bubbles in his cot at the same time as he held the universe together that is the greatness of our God and in Luke 2 
8 to 12. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angels then are not omniscient, they are not all-knowing. But they are all Bible students, and Satan knows the Bible better than some of us. He knew Messiah would come, but he didn't know who he was. He knew from the book of Daniel, which we studied recently in Daniel's 70 weeks, when he was coming, and from Revelation 12, 1 to 4. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried in labour and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. And in this scripture we see his plot to remove the man-child. We know he's been trying to get rid of the one who had bruised his head since the garden. Again, we covered some of this in the recent study on Revelation. Jesus was taken into Egypt, Matthew 2.13. Again, an angel is the messenger. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And the Word of God wrote about it before it all happened. Old Testament again, Hosea 11.1 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Angels were used to tell people that Jesus had risen. Luke 24.1-6 Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices they'd prepared. But they found the stone, stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, thus they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the life, the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Jesus had risen, and as a result of his resurrection, the order of things has changed. Before, we had God and Jesus, angels, mankind, animals, and plants. As I said at the beginning, now we have a new order of things, and this applies to every believer. God, born-again believers in Jesus, 
angels including the fallen ones and Satan himself, fallen mankind, animals and plants. The order has changed. We are lifted above the angels. That's why the Bible tells us we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, far above all principalities and powers. We are with Jesus positionally. Satan is under our feet, glory to God. We have to start living from the place that Jesus died to give us. If you want more about this particular subject, please ask for the notes or the CDs from the recent weekend school which was called Conform to His Image. And indeed we'll be doing something more of the same, only more fulsome in May next year when we do uh, our conference hopefully at Pilgrim Hall which is the lost glory. So with all that under our belts we can look at a lovely scripture in Hebrews 1 7 and 14 and verse 7 says and of the angels he says who makes his angels spirits and his ministers flames of fire and in verse 14 are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation who inherit salvation we do and the angels are there to minister to us all of us have guardian angels they are real angels would be used to blow trumpets to signify the catching away of the church you find that in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 Angels also talked about the ascension of Jesus in Acts 9, 1-11 I'll let you look those up I'll let you look up Ephesians 3, 9-11 The angels are still looking at us and every time a person is saved the angels leap up and down but there is one who leaps higher than them because it tells us in Luke 15:10 there is joy in the presence of the angels at every sinner who repents. Who's in the presence of the angels? Jesus himself. He leaps higher than anyone else, seeing the travail of his soul. Finally, consider this. We have a responsibility to live and be as God wants us to be because every time we rebel we give the fallen angels an opportunity to point the finger at us. Every time we rebel we covenant or agree with Satan and not with God. We must live a life that functions as God wants it to and give no place at all to the devil. Let's work, walk worthy of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for listening and God bless you. Amen.